Welcome to Nipped and Toxed. I am your host, Dr. Ashley Roby. I am a quadruple board-certified plastic surgeon, and today I'm going to be talking about mastopexies, to lift or not to lift. So this is a common consultation that I see, patients coming in with concerns for breast appearance. And oftentimes I find that patients don't really appreciate that they have some breast droop, but those are classically the patients that have either a mild or a moderate amount of breast droop. Certainly those that have significant amounts of droopy breast tissue, they're well aware of it and they come in asking for this kind of procedure. So first, uh, a mastopexy means masto or breast, and pexy is to fixate. And, and classically, it's in a suspensory nature. So we're trying to fixate or suspend the breast tissue in a more perky, rejuvenated appearance. And with time and gravity and weight, the natural trend of the breast tissue is for it to become droopier. I do think that there are some patients that just never had particularly perky breasts and and that's unfortunate, but a lot of women, whether they have big breasts and enough time has elapsed or they have had pregnancies and they have had engorgement around other breasts and increased volume and then deflation, they experience the resultant breast droop. So when you're thinking about what are the things that I could do to make my breast look better, certainly not only volume assessment would come into play, but assessment of where the nipple and where the breast tissue is relative to the breast footprint. So when people talk about breast droop, uh, the medical term that is commonly used is ptosis. So P-T-O-S-I-S. And ptosis is a term that describes the amount of droop of the nipple relative to where it should be. So ideally, the nipple should be centered over the breast mound. So if you think about the breast as, for simplicity purposes, a round shape with the bottom of this round shape being the crease and obviously the sides being on one side closer to the sternum and on the other side close to that anterior axillary line, you would ideally like to have the nipple centered in the middle of that. A nipple position below that ideal location is considered to have some degree of droop. So when I do uh, assessments for breast procedures, I'm doing a myriad of measurements, but it certainly does include this measurement of droop. And based upon that measurement, that will help me either further counsel or recommend various options that could be considered to potentially improve that. From a breast lift perspective, you know, it comes at a bit of a trade-off, right? Most breast lifts involve an incision. There's a minimally invasive technique that could be done to help improve that, but classically breast lifts involve incisions. So when you're thinking about whether or not you are wanting to do a breast lift, you have to consider is what I'm going to do, will that be an upgrade, right? So if you have just a small bit of droop, but you're proposing to add an incision all the way around your nipple norella, is the one centimeter of elevated position going to be worth that more substantial circumvalar scar? And so that's a question that not only you as a patient, but your surgeon should be asking his or herself when you're thinking about whether or not this is a good option for you. And from a patient perspective, there's not a right or wrong answer because that is going to be a very personalized individual assessment. From a surgeon's perspective, I feel like my job is to provide you recommendation, uh, senses as to what each option, if it's a reasonable option, might give you 
and the pros and cons of each. So for some people, they're not adverse to scars, and some people would much rather maintain substantial droop than to have some centralized scars. So from a mastopexy perspective, when I'm thinking about breast droop, I'm mentally dividing the patients into four categories. So one category would be no droop. There's lots of scales of ptosis or breast droop, and I'm not going to try to convince someone that one scale is a better. It doesn't really matter, but it should be something that the surgeon is at least thinking about, like how if there is droop, how significant is it? So the first group is someone who has really no droop, and that's easy. That The next category is a patients that have mild droop. So somewhere in that one to three centimeter range from centered over the round to being positioned three centimeters below that. So that's mild breast droop. The next group is more of the moderate. That's about three to six centimeters. And anything more than six centimeters of droop is significant in my mind. So for patients that have no droop, yeah, they don't need to lift. So there's nothing to really lift. With a special exception that there is a, a thing called pseudotosis or pseudodroop. And that's where you have the nipple and areola still centered over the mound. But you have this kind of like, I don't know, like a droopy dog type tissue that's starting at the nipple and then on the lower pole of the breast going down below the crease substantially and then coming back up. So that's called pseudotosis. It doesn't classically affect where the position of the nipple and areola is, but it still creates a droopy look and that can be addressed. But that is removing that excess tissue at the inframary fold as opposed to a classic lift procedure where you're having to reposition the nipple and areola complex. So the next group of patients with mild ptosis or mild droop, I think that's kind of a gray area. So some options for those patients, like certainly I think one option, and that's probably the one that's probably most commonly selected, especially if you're in that one or one to two centimeter range, is, is no lift. Patients that have some breast deflation, by revolumizing that tissue, you'll get a tiny bit of lift of where the nipple and areolar complex is sitting. So yeah, most of those people will just kind of see what they think about what kind of lift they get from their implant if they're getting an augmentation or if they're getting a fat transfer and then reassess. Because if you're unsure or you think that you'll probably be satisfied without a lift, I think that seems like a reasonable first step. We can always come back and add a lift secondarily. We can't do the opposite. We can't go ahead and add the lift and be like, oh, you know what? I don't really like that. We can't unadd the lift. So that's a common approach. Some patients that have the mild droop category, but they're convinced that they're not going to be able to tolerate any bit of droop and they want something done. The options for that would be one, the, the minimally invasive lift that I was alluding to earlier. You can use body tight, which uses radiofrequency energy to heat up the tissues and cause a soft tissue contraction. At a year's time, you're averaging about a 40% contraction of the tissue. Then that means maybe you have a half improvement of your droop. So for someone in that myeltosis category if they're revolumizing and they are getting some tightening, that may very well be enough to completely address their concerns. Another option would be what's called a crescentic lift. And that's not something that I do because I'm, I'm just not a fan, but basically you take a crescentic excision. So like a crescent roll type excision above the areola, and then you're just pulling the areola up and distributing the upper half of the areola. That's kind of distortional and obviously it's not a very powerful lift. It will preferentially pull the upper part of the areola up, not distributing the scar well. So I don't really do that one. One I do do on occasion 
is the periareolar or circumareolar lift. And what that is, is you place an incision that goes all the way around the areola. So if the areola is stretched out, you would go ahead and make your circumareolar inner incision at a diameter of 38 millimeters or something thereabouts. And then you would make the bigger outer incision at the bottom at the same level of your areola and superiorly higher to the extent of where you would like the top part of the reel to end up. So you end up taking off some of the skin between those two circles and freeing up some of the tissue and mobilizing it. The suture that's placed there is a purse string wagon wheel type suture where you're trying to cinch that outer circle into the inner circle. One of the challenges with this particular lift is that they are opposing forces. So on one hand, you're trying to get that larger outer circle of tissue to purse string into that smaller areola, but at the same time that inner areola is being stretched out larger circle of tissue. The areola tends to stretch out substantially and then the scar is just really challenging. I mean, classically, even when you have length match of the inner and outer circle like you would have in the other two kind of mass effects that'll talk about the lollipop and the anchor pattern type, that circular type incisional pattern is a little more challenging, but then when you add a length mismatch, meaning for that circle circumareolar mastopexy when the outer circle is longer in length than the inner circle. It's like a purse string. You have little bunched areas and I think that's more challenging. So it's not my favorite lift. It does do its job, but oftentimes at the expense of creating a really challenging scar. So some people that heal scars really well, it looks great. And some people that are more challenging scar formers, it's, you know, it's not the best. So those are some of the options for patients with mild droop. Moving on to the next category, uh, moderate droop when you're in that three to six centimeter range. Uh, usually in those scenarios, I I personally think a lift is helpful, especially when you're adding an implant, a natural breast as far as shape goes, can tolerate a, a, a bit of moderate droop more reasonably than an augmented breast, especially with an implant, because when you're adding an implant, that implant's going to go in that perky high position on your chest wall. So you've really established that perky mound. And if you're starting off with a moderate degree of breast droop, that position of the nipple and areola is really going to sit in contrast to the fact that you now have this very perky mound. The implant almost exacerbates that degree of droop just be- because it, it you're noticing that contrast even more. So for those patients, I feel like a, a mastopexy scar pattern is worth it because it just looks better. And those two are more harmonious when you have the perky mound and, and the perky nipple and areola position to go with it. That's my preference for that range of breast droop. But if you are doing doing an augmentation with fat because the way the fat's distributed, the fat's going to go where most of the tissue is. So if you have more volume distributed inferiorly, that means that you could add more volume to that space. So I think that a moderately droopy breast goes with a fat transfer. If you're trying to avoid a breast lift, it goes with that better because you don't have that contrasting volume distribution abnormality, right? The volume that you're adding with a fat is going to be down where all the breast tissue is. So it looks more harmonious. But if you were thinking in that moderate category, and really it's the same kind of lifts that you would be doing for someone that had significant trip as well, all those patients would benefit from a breast lift. But if you are thinking about a breast lift in either of those categories, so more than three centimeters of droop, then usually you're considering either a lollipop type incision. Sometimes people will use the term vertical mastopexy or an anchor pattern type incision. And sometimes the term wise pattern is also utilized. 
or an inverted T. The difference between those two is whether or not you have an incision along the breast crease. So uh, in both scenarios, you end up with an incision that goes all the way around the areola. You'll have an incision that goes from the bottom of the areola down to the breast crease. Then it's just whether or not you're having that incision in the breast crease as well. So I think if you have a significant amount of breast droop, you're probably going to need the anchor or inverted T-wise pattern option. So the, the extra inframary fold incision. If you have a more moderate category and you don't have a lot of tissue or length along that inferior pole, then you might be able to get by with a lollipop. It really just comes down to what your measurements suggest and what your surgeon thinks will be the best. I don't personally think that whether or not you have an incision in the breast crease really makes a heck of a lot of difference. So if I don't need it, I'm not going to add it. But if I need it for some two purposes, then I will utilize that incision as part of your breast lift as well. The incisional parts are... I think mostly what people are thinking about or considering when they think about kinds of breast lifts, but there is another fairly substantial component that comes into play in breast lifts too, and that has to do with the pedicle. So the pedicle means how that nipple and areola tissue, how the blood supply has been left intact so that it can be repositioned. The main approaches are either like an inferior pedicle, and that's where you have the blood supply originating down by the the breast crease and you're leaving almost like a chain of tissue intact from the crease up around the nipple and areola and then disrupting the blood supply around up, up above that just so that you can mobilize and reposition the tissue. You're disrupting some of the blood supply and attachments so that the tissue can be moved. I think that's probably still the most, but definitely a, a close second is the superiorly based pedicle. The superiorly based pedicle is where you're obviously leaving the blood supply intact from above. And that's my preference, having done both techniques. I like the idea of one, you know, if I'm going to have a bulk of tissue, I want it to be up high. So with a superiorly or a superior medial base pedicle, if you have a long chain of tissue, meaning a lot of droop, and you're trying to push up that tissue up above the nipple areola so that you can center the nipple areola, I'd much rather have that volume um, up higher in the breast as opposed to it sitting down low in the breast. And that's one of the criticisms about the classic inverted T mass apexy that has been Describe because that oftentimes goes with that inferior pedicle. It's the pedicle component that classically tends to bottom out as opposed to specifically the incisional component. But so yeah, I do like the superiorly based pedicle. That's usually not something that people ask me about, but I think it does make a difference. Another thing that I like to do, especially for patients that are not wanting to add an implant or fat, but they want to try to maintain their volume with their mastopexy is the term auto-augmentation. But what that really means is a secondary pedicle. So you'll have the one chain of tissue that's supplying nerve sensation and blood supply to the nipple and areola, and you've created that so you can mobilize that tissue. But then I'll oftentimes maintain a secondary or inferocentrally based pedicle. So a bulk of tissue that I'm leaving down below just to maintain as much volume as I can. For those patients, 
oftentimes the only thing that I'll be removing is just skin. So I think that that's really helpful. And if you are taking a look at your breasts and you like how much volume you have, let's say in a bra or with a tissue all kind of molded into an ideal shape, then you may very well not need an implant and obviously needs a relative term. You may be a good candidate for a, a breast lift with an auto augmentation, which just means maintaining as much of that tissue as possible. So I like to do that a lot. Another thing that I will do semi-regularly, but not as commonly, some patients that have had substantial weight loss or they have a lot of excess tissue in that bra area. So not really breast tissue, but kind of off to the side under the arm, the, the bra roll. What you can do is extend that crease incision, the infirmary fold incision, posterolaterally or um, posterosuperiorly. So either you're carrying it off following that bra strap towards the back, but oftentimes I'll carry it up towards the armpit and then you will mobilize some of that tissue and then swing it into the breast and that's called a spiral flap. So it's just another technique for auto augmentation purposes. So basically just using the tissue that you don't really want the bra roll, you wouldn't mind having that in your breast. So it's another technique to use what you have And if you're thinking you don't want an implant, but you don't want a bra roll, I think that could be a nice option. So I like to think about mastopexies or breast lifts and breast reductions really on a spectrum. Technically, I think a mastopexy is a small form of a reduction because at least you're removing some skin. So even though from a volumetric perspective, it may seem like a very insignificant reduction, it probably still is technically a reduction. The the same principles that are used in a mastopexy are also used for breast reduction. Uh, Certainly, you're not going to be trying to maintain any of these secondary pedicles I was alluding to because one of the bigger goals in those cases is to remove some of the excess volume. But ultimately, you end up with the same kind of incisional patterns. And technically, a breast reduction does reduce your risk of breast cancer because you are removing breast tissue. And so you have less breast tissue that could theoretically transform into a neoplastic breast disease. So there is that small benefit of having a breast reduction, though people aren't doing a breast reduction per se for just small amounts of risk reduction in breast cancer. A question that patients will ask me a lot is, well, the scars will go away, right? I mean, depends on your definition of go away. So like completely go away, no scar really completely goes away. If the scar heals so well that it's almost imperceptible, great. I I think that would be awesome. Some people do heal that way. Unfortunately, some people heal with really pronounced rays and darkened scars, and those are visible. And some people's scars, and although this is quite rare, they're so raised that you could even see them through a very thin layer of clothing. Those are kind of extreme situations. Usually it's like someone who has a known history of poor scar formation or they're chronically itching or irritating it. But that does happen. Most people are in between, meaning most people heal ultimately so that if you're looking, you can see the scar. It's not imperceptible, but certainly not really red and raised and and thickened. So my best advice to people who are considering something like a mastopexy, when you're trying to weigh out the benefits of repositioning and centralizing the tissue versus the cons of the ultimate incisions, I think it's helpful to look at a lot of pictures. 
Take a look at the befores and afters that your surgeon has either on their website or in their office and see what you think. If you look through all the photos and you think, these are great and I would be totally satisfied with you know the vast majority of these outcomes, then that can help you think that, okay, you would probably be a reasonable candidate for a breast lift. If, however, you look at all the photos and think, man, these are terrible and I hate every one of them, then <laughs> yeah, I would probably advise against doing a breast lift because the odds of you being the very best result they've ever had, that doesn't seem totally realistic. So you should tentatively plan on having visible scars. And if you're one of the lucky ones that has scars that heal so well, they're almost imperceptible. Great. If you're one of the unlucky ones that has really thickened and raised scars, yeah, you might need a revision or some kind of intervention, whether it's steroids or laser treatment or worst case scenario, excision and and reclosure. But I do advocate for my patients to do post-operative silicone scar treatment. So for my patients, all of the sutures that I placed are under the skin. The intent is for all the sutures to absorb. There's a small risk of some of the sutures spitting. The most common locations for that would classically be at those T-junctions. So the bottom of the areola where it's transitioning from the circumarelar incision to that vertical limb and the the lower T-junction where you have the vertical limb transitioning into that inframemory fold incision. Those are the most likely uh, locations for suture spitting because, well, one, you probably have a little more suture there and two, the blood supply is, is the worst because it's coming to a corner. So scar gel can be helpful as a preventative measure to try to help ensure good scar formation. Certainly avoiding sun, which usually isn't a real big issue in the breast area unless you're someone who likes to nude sunbathe or sit in a tanning bed without their top on. But the scar gel, I recommend people do it twice a day for at least three months and then once a day for the rest of that calendar year. As far as risks go, certainly every surgery has risks. I think the one that tends to widen people's eyes a little bit is the theoretical risk of what could happen if when we're arranging your nipple areola in a more superior position, that blood supply that was intentionally left intact is inadequate. It's the same thing that happens to any tissue that doesn't have a good enough blood supply. It doesn't heal well, or you could even have loss of tissue. So that's a risk associated with mass apexy loss or potential loss of the nipple complex. Classically, I will quote patients about 1%. So one out of 100 people may have this problem. I think that's probably fairly accurate. The things that put you at higher risk certainly would be really big reductions or really substantial amounts of breast droop. In other words, like if your breast is three centimeters droopy, that's not as long of a distance for a blood supply to travel than someone who has 20 centimeters of droop, right? You're just asking more. So I think higher risk. The other thing that is huge is the smoking. And I don't intentionally do breast lifts on smokers. I certainly have that subset of patients that say they quit smoking and haven't, or they did, and then they relapse like uh, as soon as they rolled out of the OR. I mean, yeah, I can tell because they can really struggle with 
the way that tissue heals. And it's a huge bummer because this is a, an aesthetic procedure, right? You're doing this so that your breasts look better. But if you're cutting off the blood supply and turning the nipple and areola to a big black scab, that's not an upgrade as far as looks go. That's terrible. Definitely don't have the surgery if you can't commit to smoking cessation. And really, I would avoid being around heavy smokers as well. I don't think that's helpful. But the reason is, is that nicotine, whether it's in an e-cigarette or a cigarette, is a vasoconstrictor. And that means that it takes the blood vessels that are there and shrinks them down. So it constricts them, it makes the amount of blood flow moving through them less. And when you add that on to the existing, let's say mechanical construction that was just inflicted upon the breast surgically, meaning we transected some of the blood supply to mobilize that tissue. So made some mechanical alterations in the blood supply, you know, that double whammy to the blood supply of the nipple areola can be really problematic, meaning your risk of losing some of the tissue goes up. So yes, don't smoke. It's not worth it. But you can't do a nicotine patch either. You just you have to get off those vasoconstrictors because it's just not really, it's not worth it. It's not an upgrade to have a lifted breast, but one side just have a big black scab instead of the nipple areola. Other generalized risks associated with a mastopexy, other than the bonarilla, blood supply concern, and the scars. Asymmetry is certainly a risk. That's actually, I think, one of the advantages of a breast lift for some people is that pretty much everyone has some degree of asymmetry, whether it's a volumetric asymmetry or positional asymmetry. And it's usually some degree of both. Sometimes it's more subtle than others. But a breast lift allows an opportunity, at least, to help account for some of those things. If one nipple is low, or one breast is bigger or whatever combination of asymmetry you have, you can utilize the mastopexy or the breast lift to attempt to address some of those things. So I actually think from an asymmetry perspective that it's a a helpful tool, but the caveat is that no one at the end is going to be mirror image symmetric. So even with the best intentions of marking everything as close as possible and measuring various areas so that they're lining up and, and matching, our bodies don't heal symmetrically and they're never going to be exactly the same. But like I said, mastopexy is helpful with regard to symmetry, but expecting true symmetry is not realistic. So anyone who's wanting that endpoint, I think is going to find them themselves disappointed. Other risks would be things like lactation difficulties. If you're definitely going to have more kids and you want to breastfeed, certainly it would be something to consider with regards to holding off on the mastopexy component because there are going to be some disruptions to the natural glandular drainage into the ductal system. Plus, if you're going to have another pregnancy, you're going to re-engorge your breast and stretch it out again anyway. So you're probably better off holding off on that. But if you decide to go for it and you didn't think you're going to have kids and then you decide to have more kids, you would have a risk of having problems with breastfeeding. Other things would be numbness. If the nipple areola area is a very important erogenous zone for you, you should expect some decrease in sensation. Most people have some degree of that, but it would be rare to have absence of sensation. So assuming that the nipple areola from a vascular standpoint healed well enough, you should have some nerve supply to it. Maybe it's not as great, but you should have some. I do have some patients noticing that to some extent, but I I think it's pretty rare for someone to say, well, I wished I wouldn't have had this breast lift because my nipple is a little bit numb. 
Bleeding is a small risk with any kind of surgery. If you're doing a fat transfer at the same time as a lift, you probably have a slightly higher risk of having a little oily fat collection. Uh, and that's because it's a little more challenging to add large volumes of fat into tissue that has been cut into with a breast lift. It's easier to add more volume when the, the breast is unlifted and has undisrupted tissue planes. But once you start disrupting some of those planes and you've created little cuts, then the fat as you're injecting it will preferentially want to fill those spaces. But in those spaces, it won't get a blood supply so you can get more of those fat oily cysts. Another thing that I will utilize for my mastopexies, primarily with the aug mastopexies, but you know, if you're doing an auto augmentation, just straightforward mastopexy, you could utilize it as well is the use of an absorbable mesh. So I like to use Galloflex and it's an absorbable mesh that takes about two years to completely absorb. And in that process, your body will break down the Galloflex mesh. And I think about it like a suture. So the way a suture is used to close a wound and it's absorbed and your body breaks it down. You think about that as opposed to the kind of a line is more of a a mesh shape. So you have a bunch of screen like sutures that are fixated to each other. And those are used in in mesh form to help support whether it's an implant or an auto augmentation inferior pole in a sling fashion. So I will do that. Usually if I'm doing an aug and lift at the same time for someone who has either wanted to place a substantially sized implant, meaning they're adding a fair amount of volume, or certainly someone whose tissue has demonstrated that it's already been pretty stressed out, has lots of stretch marks, and its elasticity is, and quality is compromised. So the Galaflex can be like an internal bra of sorts to help support the weight of that tissue. And so if you're putting the implant under the muscle, that Galaflex would fill the space between the infralateral border of the pec muscle. So the pec muscle, if you think about it running along your breast crease at the bottom, it doesn't run all the way across the bottom, maybe halfway across it starts this kind of diagonal trip up towards your armpit. So you've got this crescent-shaped area in the lower outer quadrant of your breast that wouldn't have muscle coverage. So I think the Galaflex can be a nice internal bra to help support the weight of the implant there. And why I think that's important is because when you're standing, the gravity is going to take the implant inferiorly. So inferiorly, you're going to have that weakness. And then when you're you're sleeping on your back, the, the gravity is going to take the implant off the side of your chest wall. So that whole lower outer quadrant is where gravity tends to want to take the implant with time. So having that extra support there is helpful. So I will use a Galaflex for that. If you're someone who's wanting to have the implants on top of the muscle. Now my preference is to wrap the whole anterior surface and obviously the sides as well with the Galaflex so that you would have muscle on the back side of the implant and the rest of the sides covered with the Galaflex. I don't do that as much as the submuscular implant pocket, but I certainly do do that. So that's um, another tool that I will use to help support the tissue, but also as a side note that it's been associated with reduced risk of capsular contracture. So I think Galaflex can be helpful from a, a strictly lifting perspective without an implant. If you wanted to use the Galaflex as a sling for a secondary auto augmentation inferior pedicle, you could do that. I don't think that's probably done as much as the implant support 
technique is utilized, but it's certainly an option. One outcome of doing something like an augmentation without a lift, especially when it seems like it would be really beneficial, is what's called a Snoopy deformity or waterfall breast deformity. And that's where you, again, you have that perky mound of the breast implant positioned centrally over where the breast mound should be. And then you have the, the breast tissue falling down off of that. So the nipple, instead of being centered over that, is down below. And if you can think about it visually, if you're looking at it from the side, you've got Snoopy's head and then the droopy tissue falling down and the nipple hanging down is like Snoopy's droopy nose. So the Snoopy dog deformity. Certainly not anything anyone would want to sign up for. Like, yeah, I'll take the breasts that look like a droopy Snoopy dog deformity. Yeah, and also don't sign up for anything that's a deformity in name. So yeah, that's that's what we're trying to avoid. So in conclusion, I think breast lifts are helpful. They're a very helpful tool with regards to creating the ideal breast shape and centralized nipple neuromuscular complex. Yes, they do come classically with the expense of some centralized breast incisions. So that has to be something that you're willing to accept. So it's not perfect for everyone. The technology for the minimally invasive breast lift, the the body type, I think it's an option, but especially with things like asymmetry and substantial degrees of breast droop, you're really going to be better off going with the, the traditional mass effects and accepting some of those scars. All right. Well, thanks guys. If you have any questions, you can certainly send us messages on our Instagram page, Nipped and Toxed, or hit us up on on Facebook or I don't know, the website probably. All right, take care, bye.